Good morning, and welcome to the Sunday stream at Flat Creek Baptist Church. We are so thankful that you've joined us today, whether you're watching online or you are joining us on Glory FM 97.5. We are grateful for you being here today, and we look forward to worshiping alongside of you this morning. God bless you, and enjoy the stream. What time it is? Say it with us. It, it is time for worship. Good morning. That was pretty pitiful. Good morning. Welcome to Flat Creek Baptist Church. Aren't you so excited we have a risen Savior we get to worship this morning? Listen, one month from today, we're going to be kicking off a week of revival services in a tent out there in the courtyard outside. It's going to be kind of... myself if it's going to be an old school revival we should do some old school music so y'all know what the, the red book is uh, i got a few hands right so listen we're going to sing a couple songs from the red book today all right y'all enjoy these songs sing along if you know them. i once was lost in sin but jesus took me
Jesus, and we are so grateful this morning for you being a part of Flat Creek Baptist Church today. We've already had a great 8.30 service. Hopefully you were part of Sunday school today and were able to join in on that. And now we get to come and worship the Lord together at 11 o'clock. Let's give our online and radio listening audience a big hand as well. So thankful for all those who join us in worship every single week, not only here in person, but all around the world as well. You might be here today for the very first time in person, and if you are, we are so grateful that you've come to join us today. Uh, there in your pews, in the back of your pews, you're going to find an envelope holder, and in that envelope holder, you're going to find a green connections card. If you could take that... Fill that out for us, and on your way through the double doors today, on your way out the uh, church, over on your right-hand side, you're going to see a connections tent. And if you could turn that connections card in for us, that's our way to get to know you a little bit better. Plus, we have a gift for you today, so please make sure that you turn that in. Now, listen, we do have some good news today. I'm going to ask Miss Nala Hill if she'll please come at this time. Y'all give Nala a big hand. <laughs> Nala is... 14 years old. She's a part of our youth group here at Flat Creek. And on this past Wednesday night, Nala gave her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved. And she's going to be baptized next Sunday morning. So you guys make sure you come back next Sunday to be a part of her baptism. And who knows, maybe somebody else in the room today needs to give their life to Christ. And maybe today would be the day of salvation. Listen, we're going to have a time of fellowship. This is a time for you to shake the hands of those around you. Nala's going to be right here. Y'all come tell her how happy you are to have her part. Great 
him together down at the cross glory 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 to his name down at the cross where my savior died down where for cleansing for sin i cried there to my heart was the blood applied glory to his Amen. Would you join me for a time in prayer today? Father, thank you so much, my Lord, for the wonderful, wonderful atmosphere of the Holy Spirit uh, that we have truly walked into today here at Flat Creek. Our uh, Lord, just the unity that binds us, our Lord, is not seen in many places. I, I have so many friends of mine in ministry that I talk to and and they say, Pastor, you know, Zach, my, uh, our church is really on the decline. Or, or, man, there's fighting, there's this, there's that. And, Lord, we pray for those congregations today. Pray that your Holy Spirit might be known and that the unity of the Spirit might, might truly be presented inside of those congregations. But I'm thankful, Lord, so thankful that here at Flat Creek Baptist Church, we, we have one saying that is over us all the time, and that is, Keep the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is Jesus. Amen. As long as we keep Jesus in his proper place, then, then everything else, uh, just kind of, any disagreements in those things or whatever, just kind of fall by the wayside. Because I realize that the individual across the road from me, the individual I'm standing with in the fellowship hall, whatever, they're not my enemy, they're my brother or sister in Christ. And it's such a joy to be a part of a, a living body, a body of believers who truly have their eyes fixed on you, a, a body of believers who's hungry for you, Lord. 
a body of believers that come every Sunday and is truly like being with family. And when we leave out, we can't wait to come back. I think about when I was growing up and I'd go to my, my grandma's house and all my cousins would be there. And we'd leave and go home and, and you just think to yourself, man, I can't wait to go back and be with them all again. And Lord, that's kind of the feeling here we have every time we walk out of these doors and, and we get in our cars and we leave the property. It just leaves us longing for more because the spirit, the unity, the fellowship is so sweet. Thank you, Lord, for being a part of the ecclesia, the called out assembly, those called out by Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful today that, that we have the hope of, of salvation through the cross at Calvary. Thankful that a young girl named Nyla can give her heart to you on a Wednesday night sitting by a picnic table when the wind's blowing and the rain's falling all around us. Thankful that even here on a Sunday morning, somebody who doesn't know you may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus today. They may say goodbye to the old life and they might be born again, made new, transformed. So Lord, I want to always give invitation to come to Christ. So as we sing this next song, Glorious Day, as we look at the entire scope of what you've done for us, as we get into the Word today in the book of Romans, chapter 6, I pray, God, we might truly, truly just be confronted by you, convicted by the Holy Spirit. For those of us who are saved, we might be more like you. For those who are not saved, that they may walk out of here today knowing the hope that is found only in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for all things. We say these things in your precious holy name today. Amen. Brother Caleb. Would you stand and sing with us, please? One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be, Buried, he carried my sins far away. 
Caleb, and uh, thank you musicians, thank you choir, uh, what a beautiful, beautiful day of worship we've had together, amen? amen? Amen. At this time, we'll dismiss our children, ages kindergarten through fifth grade. Miss Breeze, Mr. James, and other children's church workers are right here behind the piano, and you can go ahead and make your way that direction. If you'll go ahead now and open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter number six, the book of Romans chapter number six yeah. somebody asked me this morning they said pastor what are you going to preach on I said sin yeah. <laughs> and they said well, what are you going to say about it I said I'm going to come out against it <laughs> Romans chapter six we're going to continue our walk through of this just wonderful book of the Bible and today we're kind of entering into new territory. We're, we're coming out of the doctrine of justification and into the doctrine of sanctification. If you're here with us for the first time today, uh, we're going to get you all caught up by the time the day's over. So don't feel like you're going to get left behind. But I want to bring a message to you today entitled Sanctification. Dead to sin and alive in Christ. This is really an introduction into this great doctrine of the Bible. I 
I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read the first 11 verses today. However, we're only going to cover the first four in preaching this morning. But I want you to listen to what Paul says. He says, what shall we say then? Or do we, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized through baptism into death? So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ... We believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Amen. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You probably have never heard the name Jim Palmer. And I must admit, until this week, I had never heard of him either until I saw a post of his on social media. I did a little research on Jim Palmer. He's a graduate of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and he's the founder of the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality. From many of his posts on Facebook, it is quite obvious that Mr. Palmer has went through the process of deconstruction, meaning that he has left the faith and now espouses a hatred toward organized Christianity, all the while seeking to enlighten us as to who the true historical Jesus really is. A few days ago, Mr. Palmer posted the following on his social media account. He said, you cannot pin Christianity on Jesus. It's not his fault. Christianity is Paul's burden to bear. With a little help from the earliest church councils, in my view, Jesus and Paul would not have gotten along very well. And Jesus would have been dismayed by many of the concepts that Paul devised. No other individual shaped the Jesus story adopted by the church today more than Paul. One thing Paul did very successfully, and in my view, unfortunately, was lock in the idea of atonement and bloodshed as salvific. The significance of Jesus, Palmer said, was not in his blood and in his violent death. Instead, Jesus is to be understood as an enlightened revolutionary, not a cosmic savior. The first Christians, he says, understood this, and it wasn't until later that the story and the person of Jesus was reframed to become official church doctrine. Friends, these are truly shocking statements from a man who once preached the very things he now adamantly opposes. Equally shocking to his Facebook posts were the many comments that followed, including people that I know that actually agree with him. Can you imagine people in the church? Men in the pulpit who would actually say that the blood of Jesus Christ 
is strictly a Pauline concept and is not central to the gospel. Friends, if you know anything about the Bible and anything about the life and ministry of Jesus, you know that the blood is essential to the foundational doctrine of justification. You simply cannot have salvation. You cannot have forgiveness without the shedding of blood. What does Paul say or the writer of Hebrews say? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. If the blood doesn't matter, then the cross doesn't matter. And if the cross doesn't matter, you might as well throw the Bible in the trash can. For the entire Bible speaks of the blood of Jesus. Friends, this is why we continue every week coming back to the book of Romans. This is why we are diligent to continue plunging into the deep waters of this amazing book of the Bible. You might remember in one of the very first messages that I preached in Romans, I told you that one of the great travesties in modern day Christianity is a lack of understanding of the true nature and meaning of the gospel. What it is, what it accomplishes, how it affects your daily life. There are too many Christians today who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ but remain in spiritual infancy. I believe the lack of gospel understanding does not lie solely in the person in the pew. Rather, I believe that much of the blame is to be placed in the pulpit. Because we have too many people today who are all too willing to scratch the ear of an itching audience. Friends, this is why we must be diligent in our pursuit of gospel understanding. We must know what we believe if we are going to be faithful in our walk with Christ and faithful to defend the gospel against people like Jim Palmer who say the blood does not matter. Five chapters of the book of Romans, we have covered miles and miles of essential Christian doctrine. Friends, the journey started way back in chapter number one. As Paul gives us this foundation as to what this entire letter of Romans would entail. Just jump back with me, if you will. Romans 1, 1 through verse number 7. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand, through his holy prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are the beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In those first eight verses, Paul lays the framework. He gives us the central idea of the entire letter and then launches us into the deep waters as he begins to plumb the depths of the gospel with one aim in mind, that you and I might come to grasp this gospel, which he says in verse number one, belongs to God. 
Let me remind you, friends, that the gospel belongs to him. The gospel is eternal in nature. It's been the message of God from before the beginning of time. And then Paul jumps into verse 18 through chapter 320. He covers the doctrine of total depravity and out of that highlights our condemnation. You might remember chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. The apostle Paul says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What Paul is teaching us is that inside the courtroom of God, we are all guilty. God is a righteous God. God is a just God and therefore he must punish sin. He cannot allow sin to go on unrestrained. He cannot allow the sinner to simply be pardoned without punishment. Therefore, every single person on earth stands condemned apart from the gospel. Friends, to truly understand the gospel and to truly understand your need for the life-saving message of Jesus, you must come to this conclusion. God abhors sin God hates sin sin is opposed to everything God is therein lies the great mystery of the gospel God who abhors sin who cannot be in the presence of sin who cannot be in the presence of a sinner somehow has made a way for us to stand in his presence Somehow God has made a way for us to be justified, to be declared not guilty in his courtroom. That, that, that qualifying question of Job in Job 9 too, how can a man be made right with God? Well, all summer long we've answered that question through the doctrine of justification. Romans chapter 3 verse 21 through 26, what does Paul say? He says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Friends, the way to be justified has been provided. Through the vicarious death of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We can be justified in the courtroom of God. However, to actually be justified, one must come by faith alone without any works of your own and rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he accomplished on Calvary's cross. It was on Calvary where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And for the person who comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, God declares you righteous in his courtroom. For those of us who have come to Christ, we have received an alien righteousness. We have received the righteousness of Christ. It has been imputed to our account. The righteousness of Christ is now yours, and therefore your lawless deeds have been forgiven, and your sins have been covered. Glory to God. Amen. Yes. From condemned to justified. Yes. From guilty to not guilty in the courtroom of God. Yes. Friends, it's only possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other way. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the free gift of God, lest any man should boast. The gospel is adamant that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone. It is the free gift of God. Paul sums it all up. He sums up five chapters of, of teaching of the gospel in just one verse in verse 20 of chapter 5. He says the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. This teaching on total depravity, condemnation, and justification is now complete. And now Paul is going to turn his attention to what naturally flows out of our justification, that being our sanctification. Now, I know that sounds like a big and scary word. Some of you might even think, well, that sounds like a boring word. But I want you to know there's nothing boring about sanctification. Amen. Yes. Lewis Burkhoff, he defines sanctification as that gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he delivers the justified sinner from the pollution of sin, renews his whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. Wayne Grudem picks up that definition and adds that sanctification is a progressive act of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. In other words, sanctification is God's work of setting us apart as vessels to be used for his glory. I want you to understand this morning that justification and sanctification are married to one another. Amen. A person who is justified will be sanctified. And no one can be sanctified without first being justified. Whereas justification deals with our legal standing before God, sanctification deals with the internal condition of our heart after God's declaration of righteousness upon us. Whereas justification is a one-time act of God that lasts for all eternity, sanctification is a continuous act throughout this life and will only be completed when we stand in the presence of His glory. Whereas 
justification is totally dependent upon God. It's his work. Sanctification involves both God and man. Whereas or justification's work is perfect in this life, sanctification's work is not perfect in this life because we as believers are always under the disciplining hand of God and in need of his guidance. Whereas God's work of justification is the same in all Christians, sanctification's work is greater in some than others. Sanctification's work is seen throughout the next three chapters of the Bible, chapters 6, 7, and 8. In fact, what Paul is going to cover in these three chapters is the most extensive writing on this subject you'll find anywhere in Scripture. You see, friends, for us to understand the brevity of the gospel's work, we must understand that God didn't simply save us and leave us to fend for ourselves. Instead, through the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration, we were born again, made new, and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, a process began to conform you and transform you into the image of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that if you're here today and you are saved, God is doing a work in you. He has taken out a chisel and a hammer. And as the master sculpture, he is fashioning you into the image of the son he loves. For those of us who have come by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize that this process can oftentimes be painful. But we have willfully submitted ourselves to the lordship of Christ. And we have willfully submitted ourselves to sanctification's work in our lives. You might say it's like this. He saved us while we were in sin, but he loves us too much to allow us to continue in it. You see, through sanctification, God is ridding us of the old Adamic nature and is building us up into Christ's likeness. And I want you to know that every believer, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how long you've been walking with Christ, you are in the process of sanctification right now. For sanctification will only be complete when you reach heaven's shore. As long as the believer lives, you are in the process of sanctification. How do we know that? It's because none of us have been made perfect. We are in a battle against sin and sin's dominion. In fact, the day of your salvation, a new war began. The war between your old fleshly nature and the new nature that now resides in you. Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another so that you do not do the things that you please. Friends, this is sanctification's most basic work. It's the death of sin. That's your first point. Being dead to sin. Only have two points today. This is point number one. Being dead to sin. This is sanctification's most basic work. The mortification of the old Adamic nature. The putting to death the fleshly desires which are present and warring against you. You see, we as believers, we understand that coming out of his teaching on justification by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, that there are going to be those who thought Christianity led to greater sin due to its teaching on eternal security and the grace of God superabounding where sin increased. You see, friends, there's this natural tendency inside the human heart 
to justify sin, to seek to find a way to justify the pleasing of the flesh. I'm reminded of just the other day, Summer and I were talking to a young minister, and he was telling us about a pastor that we know back in our hometown. And as he was telling us about this pastor, he was telling us how this pastor recently was uh, fighting cancer. And it was a pretty serious battle, and Summer and I actually knew about this battle that this man was going through, and a lot of money was being raised because he didn't have insurance and all this stuff actually became a, a, a big a thing on the local news station. People began to give money to this guy and all these different things. And over time, the cancer went into remission. And he was still preaching and those kind of things. But through the process of all of that, it was uncovered after his cancer went into remission that while he was fighting cancer, he was actually in the midst of an adulterous affair. So the deacons of the church called him into the room and they said, how could you do this? How could you allow this to happen? And here is what the man said. He said, well, the stress of the cancer was just so much that I felt it would be okay to sleep around on my wife. Friends, can I tell you what he was doing? He was just trying to justify his sin. And here's what happens when we hear that grace superabounds. When we hear that grace is infinitely greater than our sin, that fleshly desire that's at war within us, he perks his ear and he says, I think I found a loophole. If I'm standing in grace and my salvation is secure, then I'm free to just live how I want to live. If, if by my sin, grace actually increases, then doesn't it reason out that if I sin more, that would actually work to my benefit? Because if I sin more, then God's going to send more grace. If my sin actually highlights the righteousness of God, and if my sin somehow magnifies his name and makes his grace known, then isn't my sin actually a good thing? I mean, after all, when taken like this, my sin actually brings him glory. Don't you see how far sin's fangs have sunk into our flesh? That we would take the grace of God so freely bestowed upon us. And we would take the fact that he has rescued us out of sin and think that there's a loophole now to enjoy the flesh. All the while seeking to enjoy the blessings of our justification. How many people there are in the church today who seek to live right here? Well, God's grace superabounds, so this one sin really isn't that big of a deal. I mean, actually, God's grace will only increase in matter, so what does it matter if I go on sinning? I mean, after all, one saved always saved. See, friends, there's far too many people claiming Christianity who are living right here. You're straddling the fence. You're trying to live in the best of both worlds. Let me remind you of what Paul says in Romans 2 verse 24. Speaking to the religious Jews who outwardly adhered to the law of God, but inwardly were wicked as the pagan Gentiles. He said, the name of God is blasphemed among the lost world because of you. Friends, God's desire is not only your justification. His desire is your sanctification. Specifically, his desire is the death of your old fleshly nature. It is in no way pleasing to him. 
If you're straddling the fence, if you're one of those individuals who came in today and you're trying to live with a foot in both worlds, understand you are trampling on grace. God has called you to be holy as he is holy. God has called you to be separate from the world. A basic understanding of your salvation will yield in you an abhorrence of sin like unto God's. So what Paul is teaching us in the first few verses of chapter 6. For the believer to actually continue in sin is incongruent with the lifestyle of a true follower of Christ. Two clarifying questions. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He gives the answer in chapter 6, verse 2. May it never be. Now, friends, the English, the English translation of, uh, of the Greek words here actually do not give Paul's wording justice. You see, the, the actual thing that Paul wrote or the actual words he wrote were the words may gemini, genomai. The word may in the Greek means neither, never, no, none, nor, nothing, not, without. And when paired with the word genomai in the Greek, it literally means God forbid. Paul explodes in expostulation against the idea. And I wonder how many of us have this same abhorrence toward sin. How many of us, when faced with temptation, hate even the thought of it so much that we would say, God forbid even the temptation. How many of us despise sin so much that we wouldn't walk into a restaurant that, that, that somehow is, is, is using uh, sinfulness for, for profit, that we would say, God forbid it. How many of us are willing to look at television shows that maybe we're watching or movies that maybe are on in our house and say, if that's the mess that's coming through that television, God forbid it. I want nothing to do with it. How many of us are willing to flee from the passions and lust of our flesh at disgust that we would even be in the presence of evil. He says, how can we, verse 3, who died to sin still live in it? Friends, this is the clearest statement in all of Scripture pertaining to the relationship of the believer to sin. What does he say? The believer in Christ has put Sin to death. This is what the mortification of the flesh means. What does he say there? Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? The word for death in the Greek is the word apothenesco. It means dead. But let me put it to you just clearly. If you're a believer in Christ, sin is not actively dying. Sin is not on life support. Sin is not getting CPR. Sin is dead. There is no such thing as a living dead man. When something has died, there's no pulse, there's no brain activity, there's no breath in the lungs, there's no life. Paul says this is the relationship of a believer with sin. It has died. Try to think of an illustration of this this week, and I can only come up with one. It just kind of reminds me, November 19th, 2009, is the day I was saved. 
Just a few days before that, uh, I was, well, actually, I had been in drug rehab for 42 days at the time that, that this happened in my life. And the drug rehab I was in was actually a wilderness program, meaning that I had to go out to Utah and live in a tent for 15 weeks with nine other guys and go through this, this program. And it was, it was brutal. It was cold. It was a lot of snow. It was a place you didn't really want to be. Well, 42 days into the program, they would put you out on what they call solo project. So they take you out of the camp. And they put you out in the wilderness by yourself. And for three days, you have to survive. I mean, this seems much more like something that Caleb would want to do instead of me. I'm not a wilderness guy. <laughs> but for three days, they put you out there in the wilderness, and you have to survive. And for those three days, they give you what's called a solo project. So I'll never forget it. The first day I was out there, uh, Greg Belleville, who was my counselor, he comes to me and he says, all right, I got your project, and here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you an egg. For the next three days, you have to carry that egg everywhere you go. If you break it, you're going to fail your week. You have to stay a week longer. If I steal it, you fail your week and you have to stay a week longer. If you lose it, you fail your week. You have to stay a week longer. And trust me, you didn't want to stay a week longer in this place. So as soon as he left, I did what any logical person would do. I went and got as many socks as I could find and I, I started putting that, that egg in, in all these socks. You know, I, I wanted to cushion that thing. I, I wanted to, to make sure that nothing was going to happen to that egg. <laughs> and so I immediately got it, and I, I tied it onto my belt loop, just like this. And for the next day, everywhere I walked, that old sock was just hanging off of my side, just like that. Everywhere I walked. So that evening, Greg came back to check on me. He said, hey, Zach, what's that on your hip? I said, that's, that's the egg. He said, that's against the rules. You, you can't do that. You got to take it out of there. You, you got to hold it. That, that's, that's against the rules. So he made me take the egg out of the sock. I'm trying to do this without busting it. <laughs> <laughs> I already had a tough time in the first service doing that. But I had to take it out of the sock. And, and so now I got to start carrying it around everywhere I go. That night, I remember going to bed, and, and I had a little tin cup there that I'd make my soup and stuff in. And I put that egg in that cup, and I, I got down in my sleeping bag, and I put that cup down at my feet. Slept with it in my sleeping bag because I knew that Greg could come steal it at any time, and if he did, I'd fail. The next day, he came back out, and when he found me getting wood for the fire, I was gathering wood with the egg in my mouth. <laughs> you know, doing all the work I could trying to protect that egg. He said, how do you feel about the egg? I said, I hate it. <laughs> he said, throw it away. I said, man, I can't throw that egg away. Well, why can't you throw it away, Zach? Well, because if I throw it away, you're going to fail me. and I'm going to stay extra week. I don't want to stay extra week in this place. <laughs> well, then hold it for another day. The next day he comes back, and I'm protecting it even more now. I mean, I've got, it in my, I've got it in my pants pocket as I'm doing work. I'm, I'm doing everything I can, sleeping with it in my sleeping bag. I mean, I'm holding this thing, wanting to make sure that nobody steals it from me, still doing everything with it in my mouth. He said, how do you feel about the egg today? I said, I hate it. Well, throw it away. I can't. Why? Because you'll make me stay an extra week. I'll fail. Well, then keep it another day. Come back the next day. He said, how you feel about the egg now, man? You've been holding on to that thing for three days. I said, I hate it. He said, well, throw it away. I said, I can't. You will fail me. I have to stay in this place another week. He said, Zach, I'm telling you, 
throw the egg away. I can't. Zach, throw it away. And so I reared back with all my might, and I threw that joker as far as I could throw it. And I'll never forget what Greg Belleville said to me. He said, now write me a paper about it. And I sat down and I began to write. And you know what I come to realize is he was trying to teach me a much more important lesson than just holding on to an egg. You see, what he was trying to impress upon me was that egg actually represented my sinful life and how I would do anything I could to protect it, to hold on to it. To not let anybody else impose upon it because, because after all, it, it was my sin. And as long as I had it protected, I was okay. Nobody's going to touch it. And that evening, I realized something. November 19, 2009, the day I was saved, is what I come to realize. And I want you to listen to real close what I'm going to say. I had tried for 27 years to throw the egg away. And every time I tried, I just went right back to sin. You know what I realized that night? If I want to get over this thing, I can't just throw the egg away. I've got to give it to Christ and let him bury that sucker in the grave. Amen. I've got to let him put it to death. It can no longer go on living. Friends, a forensic analysis of our salvation. What does Paul say there? He says all of us, speaking of the universal body of Christ, no exceptions. No one in the body of Christ can say, well, you know what? That whole death to sin thing, that applies to you, but it doesn't apply to me. Me and God have an agreement. You know, when, when I was saved, he told me, well, you can just hold on to that one thing because it doesn't bother me that bad. And so, so I'm just going to keep carrying this. But, but for you, you got you to gotta be done with it. No, all of us. Amen. It applies to us all. All of us who have been baptized in the Christ Jesus. Baptized, baptizo, means to immerse, to overwhelm. Paul says when we were baptized into Christ Jesus. Literally say, we have been immersed into Jesus. We have been overwhelmed by Jesus. We have been united with Jesus. We have come into covenant relationship with him, being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we have been baptized into his death. Same Greek word. We have been immersed in his death. We have been overwhelmed by his death. We have been united with his death. Do you remember James and John, those final hours of Jesus' life? Lord, let us sit on your right and on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Friends, Jesus wasn't speaking of immersion in water. It was something else on his mind. The cup that he drank was the cup of God's wrath, which was filled to the brim. It was a cup only he could drink for all humanity. And when he had drank the entire cup, he cried out, it is finished. But the baptism he speaks of is the passion which led to his death. Understand this morning that on the cross of Calvary, Jesus literally died. There was no life. There was no pulse. There was no air in his lungs. There was no brain activity. He was immersed into death. He was overwhelmed by death. He was buried in the grave. The Son of God was dead. So when Paul says 
that we have been baptized into death. This is precisely what he means. For those of us who have been joined to Christ, the moment of your salvation is the exact moment that the old nature was crucified with Christ. The individual you were before salvation has died. That individual ceased to exist. No life, no pulse, no air activity, no blood ceasing through the, or pumping through the veins, no nothing. Buried, dead. No longer does he live. The old man is dead. The old woman is dead. They no longer live. That's precisely what it means to be crucified. A.W. Tozer once said, crucifixion stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up the cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. He was going out to have his life ended. The cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew all of the man completely and for good. It did not try to keep on good terms with the victim. It struck cruel and hard. And when the cross had finished its work, the man was no more. The race of Adam is under a death sentence. There is no commutation and no escape. God cannot approve any of the fruits of sin. However innocent they may appear or beautiful to the eyes of man. God salvages the individual by liquidating him and then raising him again to newness of life. How many times have I looked across the table at an individual and they've said to me, Pastor, I just don't know if I'm saved. And I've just looked back and asked him this one question. Have you died in Christ? Have you put to death the old nature? Brady Clark sitting right here on the front row just a few weeks ago. He and I in the Mexican restaurant. He was sharing with me all these different times where he thought he was saved. And I finally just looked back at Brady and I said, Brady, has the old man died? 18 years old. He looked back across the table at me. He said, Pastor Williams, no, it hasn't. But I want him to die. And that day he prayed to receive Christ. Has this ever happened to you? Has the old nature ever been put to death? Friends, if the old nature still lives, if you can dwell in sin with no sense of abhorrence toward it, there's something wrong in your heart and you need to give your life to Christ. That's not just Pastor Zach up here just, just throwing something at you. That's based on the authority of Scripture. Paul backs up the seriousness with which God deals with sin and the life of the believer right here in chapter 6. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling for him to even consider the concept that someone could go on living in sin all the while claiming to be a believer. God forbid it. It's impossible. Impossible because the new nature which now exists in the life of the believer. You see, here's the glorious second point, very brief this morning. Not only has sin been put to death, the true believer has been raised to walk in the newness of life. See, this is why sin is dead. It's because there's a new man. There's a new woman. There's a new nature. Through the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ, actively alive and at work in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that all of us who have been put to death in Christ Jesus have also experienced his resurrection power. 
When you get up there in that baptism pool next week, Miss Nala, when you get in that, that, that baptism and I put you under that water, that's, that's immersing you into the death of Christ, that, that watery grave. But when I bring you up out of that water, you're being raised to walk in the newness of life that only Christ Jesus can give through the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Yeah. And I want you to listen here in verse 4. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead, listen, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life, raised through the glory of the Father. What is it that brings God the most glory? Is it not his demonstration of power over sin, the grave, death, and hell? What brings him the most glory? Is it not the sending forth of his son as the fulfillment of his gospel promise? What brings God the most glory? Is it not the crushing of his son and the shedding of his precious blood as atonement for the sins of humanity? What brings God glory? Is it not the fact that death couldn't hold his son, but three days after crucifixion, he victoriously resurrected from the dead, and today he lives? All those things bring God glory. But do you know what else brings glory to the Father? When one sinner repents. Amen. Yes. When one sinner is brought from death to life. Peter actually says in 1 Peter, that the grace of God demonstrated in the salvation of sinners causes the angels to stop in amazement with an express desire to understand how God who is holy can actually reconcile himself with sinners of the worst kind. You know, when we think about being brought from death to life, my mind immediately races to the story of the prodigal son. You remember that story? The prodigal son asks his dad for his inheritance and he goes out into the world. He goes out and squanders it all in loose living, the Bible says, and coming to his senses in the pig slop. The son says, man, the slaves are eating better in my daddy's house. I think I'll just go home. I'll just go home and ask my dad to be one of his slaves. And the Bible says that that young boy got up and he started walking home. And, and as he was walking up the road, his father spotted him from a distance. And his dad ran to the son. And in bringing him back, he said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he's been found and they began to celebrate. Have you ever wondered what they were celebrating that day? Surely they were celebrating the resurrection of the son. But those slaves, more than anything, they were celebrating the heart of their master. Amen. Have you ever considered that every day those slaves watched as the dad would walk out of his house in the evening and walk up to that dusty road and scan the horizon just hoping that his son would come home? Have you ever considered that, that there were probably many times that dad looked at his slaves and said, hey, if he comes home today, this is the calf that we're going to sacrifice and celebrate with. 
Have you ever considered how many times that dad would, would get up in the morning and he would take that signet ring and he would polish it up and he would take that robe and make sure there was no dust on it and fold it up on the table and tell his slaves, listen, if he shows up today, just know we're getting the signet ring, we're getting the cloak, we're going to put it on him because we're going to celebrate my son coming home. Amen. And when that son came home, those slaves, they were celebrating their master. Why? Because they knew the grace of their master. They knew of his mercy and compassion and his love toward his son. What a scene in heaven it must be. When those who are dead in their trespasses and sins are raised to walk in the newness of life. What did Jesus say? There's more celebration in heaven. More rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. And what glory there is down here on earth when the destitute, afflicted, despised, rejected, dead in sin sinners come to new life in Christ. The world can't explain it. You might think of John 9, that blind man, he comes walking up the road. A moment ago, he was walking with mud all over his eyes. He's going to Siloam. He's washed. He comes back and they say, man, you look like the blind man. You walk like the blind man. You even talk like the blind man. But you're not the blind man. It's me. It's me. But you can see. How is it that your eyes were open? The man named Jesus. Friends, that's our testimony if we've come to Christ, the man named Jesus. Do you think that blind man ever went back to the mat? Do you think the woman with the bleeding disease ever said, you know what, life was better when I couldn't find the cure? Do you think that woman who was called an adultery in John 8 ever went back to sin again? Do you think the man that had the legion of demons cast out of him ever said, you know what, I think I'll go spend another night in the tombs? Do you think the deaf man ever said life was better in silence? Or that Zacchaeus ever said, you know what, I think I'll go back to the tax collecting booth. Do you think the woman at the well ever found herself living with a man who wasn't her husband again? Do you think that Mary Magdalene ever said, man, if only he hadn't cast those demons out of me? Never. When they came in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, they never went back. Neither can we. Amen. For God's glory is on display in us. As we continue to walk with him, his glory is on display. As we continue to put sin to death in our lives through the spirit who's living in us. When I go back home to York, South Carolina, I walk in that old Walmart there. People look at me and they say, what are you doing now? I'm a pastor down in Gainesville, Georgia. No way. No way. We know you. There's no way possible. And what they're doing is they're scratching their head and they're saying, you look like him, you talk like him, you walk like him, but no way you're Zach Williams. We know that guy. But glory be unto God, November 19, 2009, that old man died. 
and a new man now lives. Friends, that's sanctification's work. It's the death of the old and the life of the new. Have you ever experienced this work? Have you ever experienced new life in Christ? Has a death taken place? Is an effort underway to transform you into the image of Christ? Have you absolutely surrendered to the Lordship of Christ? And have you decided that Jesus is worth it all? Is he worth dying for? And I'm not speaking of a martyr's death here, even though that could be a possibility. I'm asking, is he worth the death of the old man? Is he worth giving up all the fleshly desires so that you can have him? Is he enough? It really all boils down to this. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to crucify the flesh to walk with Christ? You can't have it both ways. God forbid. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The praise team is going to come now. And I'm going to lead us in a song called Mighty to Save. There might be somebody in the room today who's never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. But today you want to actually put your faith and trust in him. You've never truly been crucified with Christ, Galatians 2.20, but you want to be. You want that old man to die. That old woman to die. That old nature to cease to exist. And this morning, you're realizing you've never put your faith in Jesus, but today is the day you want to be saved. Anybody at all today would raise their hand and say, Pastor, today's the day for me. I want to give my life to Christ for the very first time. Anybody at all would like to be saved? We trust that all hearts are clear this morning. Father, we love you and give you all the glory and honor and praise and thank you, God, for your work of sanctification in our lives. Lord, just pray even now that as we sing one verse of Mighty to Save, that if there be anybody in the room that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for all things. We say this in Jesus' name. If you'll rise to your feet, sing along with Brother Merritt. One verse of Mighty to Save. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, I'm here. Come take me by the hand. Would love to come alongside of you today and tell you how to be saved. Everyone needs compassion. A love that's never failing Let mercy fall on me Everyone needs forgiveness The kindness of a Savior The hope of nations Amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand today.
And indeed, he is mighty to save. If you're here today and you never put your faith in Christ Jesus, we always want to invite you to do that. I'll be outside after the service. Come and take me by the hand and let me know of your desire to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. A few quick announcements. Uh, number one, please, if you're visiting, turn in that visitor's card uh, by the Connections tent today so we can come alongside of you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, inside of your bulletins today, you're going to find a handout for a lot of women's events coming up. So if you're a lady, please look over those things. If you want to sign up for any of the women's events, you can go by the Connections tent today. There's ladies there that are waiting on you. Also, we were to begin a Philemon Bible study tonight here in the sanctuary, but due to some scheduling conflicts over the month of September uh, of me being out for revival one week and then also um, having deacon ordination one night and also maybe even Bella sharing testimony of her time in Alaska. Y'all give Bella a big hand for being back. Uh, because of all these things, we have decided to move that Philemon Bible study strictly online. So you'll get an email with a link. If you're not on the email list, you'll get a link, probably QR code in your bulletin next week. And so that way you can start following those and, and listening to those. They'll be available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iTunes. So please don't show up tonight looking for that Bible study. They'll be online only. The last thing, inside your bulletin, you'll see that September 15th and 22nd, we as Flat Creek are sponsoring the West Hall, um, West Hall Spartans football team game nights. We need workers. We need people to go over there to West Hall High School and just kind of infiltrate the stadium and tell people about Jesus. To come and hand out uh, free gifts and those things from Flat Creek Baptist Church. We need all hands on deck. So we want you to commit to coming to those games that night. Both games start at 730. Some of you might want to get a Love Jesus, Love West Hall t-shirt. You don't have to have that to work that night. But if you would like one of those t-shirts, even if you're not coming... Uh, to work the game night. You just want one of those t-shirts. They're available for $10 today at the Connections tent. So please swing by and get yours. We will stop selling those this coming Wednesday. We're not going to order any extra. So if you want one, you got to buy it today or Wednesday. Okay, but we'd love for you to be a part of that game night sponsorship. Saying those things, if you'd like to give to Flat Creek, you can always give online or um, here in person on your way out the doors. In all things, we always want to give glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close our service today. Father, thank you so much for the time that we've had to share this morning. What a great joy it's been to be in your house today. A great joy to preach your word. And God, I just want you to know we love you with all of our hearts and pray that you might go with us from this place and use us every day as heralds of the gospel in front of a lost and dying world. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. And we say these things in your most precious holy name today. Amen. You are dismissed. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sunday stream here at Flat Creek Baptist Church in Gainesville, Georgia. I am Pastor Zach Williams, and it is a great honor to have you join us through our online platform. It is our belief here at Flat Creek Baptist that you should be connected to a local congregation. And so if you are in the Gainesville, Georgia area, we want to encourage you to come out and be a part of what God is doing in our midst. There's nothing like being connected to a local body of believers. However, if you are tuning in today and you are not from the Gainesville, Georgia area and you're tuning in from some other place on earth, what we're going to encourage you to do is get attached to a local body of believers under good, sound, biblical, doctrinal preaching 
so that you can be encouraged in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and allow Flat Creek Baptist and our Sunday stream to just be a supplement to what God is doing in your life. Friends, I thank you so much once again for joining us. God bless you. And for more information, you can visit our website, flatcreekchurch.net. My son is Braxton, and he was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And they said, it's an extremely rare cancer. Braxton went in for an eight-hour surgery. We kissed him goodbye. You're scared? Because you don't know what he'll be like after. And everybody was saying, what about St. Jude? What about St. Jude? And with all my reading about success rates, you know that he has the best chance here. We're looking at three to eight months of chemo. The hope is that Braxton gets to go home. In a couple years, our plan is T-ball. So you just gotta keep thinking of T-ball, but it's hard. By becoming a partner in hope for only $19 a month. We'll send you this St. Jude t-shirt you can wear to show your support for the children of St. Jude. Braxton was six weeks old when we started our journey and he is four and a half years old now. He is on a t-ball team and living life to the fullest. It's such a blessing to actually see who he was always supposed to be without cancer. Good morning. Good morning. His favorite thing to do is ride the school bus to and from school. When your child has cancer, you lose a piece of you. Without the donors, I would have lost a whole lot more. 
Make your monthly donation today to help St. Jude save the lives of these children. I love you, Mom. I love you. Please support St. Jude because they've given me my son. Join Mike Wolford weekdays from 6 to 10 for a glorious morning in North Georgia on 97.5 Glory FM. I used to be so lonesome, I never had a friend. Always looking out for number one Didn't know where I was going Didn't care where I had been The life I lived had me on the run One day Jesus found me And took my sin away Showed me what I thought I'd never see He put me in his family And he's with me to this day Let me tell you what salvation's done for me I used to be a blind man But now my vision's clear Mercy came and drove the shame from me There's peace of mind with Jesus That drives out every fear I'm stronger than I thought I'd ever be I can't tell you why He loves me It's bad I had been Why I'm worthy of this life of victory I know I'm not a scholar Just a sinner saved by grace But I can tell you what salvation's done for me
mind with Jesus Drives out every fear I'm stronger than I thought I'd ever be I can't tell you why He loves me As bad as I had been Why I'm worthy of this life of victory Tell you what salvation's done for me. Oh, what salvation's done for me.
97.5 Glory FM, your family radio station in North Georgia.